Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, September the 4th. We continue our series on the life of Christ and some of those major events, those hallmark events in the life of Jesus, his ministry here on earth. We pick it up this week with the resurrection. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The Bible, of course, has two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament has 27 books, four Gospels to tell the life of Jesus, 21 letters to explain the meaning of Jesus for our lives, one history about the early church, and one prophecy. And all 27 of those books deal with Jesus as alive, risen from the dead, and the central living reality in the universe today, he himself being very God and very man. And what we want to do today is is to look at Jesus's first appearance to his frightened disciples after the resurrection. And what, what we want to look at and what we want to see is how did the risen Jesus act and what did the risen Jesus say? Well, the first appearance to the disciples as a group happens in, um, in, in here in this first part of John chapter 2019. To see how Jesus acts, we read, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. So a couple of facts on how Jesus deals with us. So this is the evening of the Sunday that he rose from the dead. The morning Jesus had a, In the morning, Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene. But now he appears to all the disciples, the 11 apostles at once. And there's a couple things. The doors are locked. The disciples are frightened. And Jesus comes to them and he stands in their midst. And those three facts tell us three things that I think we can know how the risen Jesus deals with us today. The doors were locked. But Jesus did not have to knock. He did not even have to open the door. He simply was there. And he wasn't a ghost. Look at verse 20. He showed them his hands and his side. In another place, he said, touch me and see. You see, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. That's Luke chapter 24. So he has a physical body, but not exactly like ours. The same, yet different. He was simply there in spite of the closed doors. Which means that today in our life, in my life, and in your life, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. He can reach us and reach into us anywhere and anytime. There is no place where we are and no depths of personhood that we are that Jesus can't penetrate. Jesus' resurrection from the dead fits him, equips him to do what no one else can do. There is no one else like him in all the universe. He is alive, and he is the one and only God-man. 
and what he is capable of, we cannot imagine. And it is a healing wonder to contemplate that all the complex layers of our life, which neither you nor I or anyone else can understand, are familiar to him. You know, secondly, they were afraid, verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Their leader had just been crucified as a threat to the empire, to Caesar. Their fear is totally understandable. And into that fear, Jesus comes. And, and I want to draw our attention to this because this is the way I feel, we, I feel the need of the risen, living Jesus at times. Fear. Fear that I won't be prepared for, for what I'm expected to do. Fear that, that, that maybe the church won't prosper. Fear that my children uh, and, and people that I know and love will make, make a wreck out of their faith. Fear that I won't have the faith to live well, to die well. Fear that I might drift into worldliness or uselessness. And what Jesus is saying in this, this action is, I come to my own when they are afraid. I don't wait for them to get their act together. I don't wait for them to have enough faith to overcome fear. I come to help them to have enough faith to overcome fear. And I can testify to that after 30 plus years, uh, 40 plus years of being a Christian. This is still true. The risen living Jesus is still doing this. He comes when we cry out to him in our fear. He helps us. I've called a thousand times those short biff prayers. Jesus, Jesus, please. Jesus, please help me. And he has come near with that promise. Fear not. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God and I will help you. Isaiah 41.10. And he will do this for all of us if we receive him into our life for who he really is. You know, thirdly, Jesus comes to, to, to them and he stands in their midst. Verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. And the point here is that he came right into the middle of their meeting. He, he didn't come to the edge and call out through the wall and deal with them as some distant God, right? At arm's length. He wasn't playing games with them. He wasn't toying with their faith. He wanted them to see him and know him and believe in him and love him. And, and that's what he wants for you and I. He, I, I want, he wants us to, I want us to experience the living Jesus, right? We want to experience the living Jesus, to know him, to have him draw near into our life where no one else can go, to have him help us in our fear the way that no one else can help us, and to have him come to us, close to us, not calling to us from a distance, but right in our, right in our grill, right, right there. So there's three gifts in what Jesus says, and, and so that's the way he acts as the risen living Christ. Now, what does he say? And, wh and what we see is that in the first appearance to the disciples, he says three things, four, depending on how you, you count them. And these three things turn out to be three gifts to us, the gift of peace, the gift of power, and the gift of purpose. So for simplicity's sake, the opposite of peace is conflict. We know it's much more broad than that but for simplicity's sake it's peace is the absence of, or the opposite of conflict the opposite of power is weakness and the opposite of purpose is aimlessness so many lives are ruined by conflict by weakness and aimlessness and jesus did not come into the world and die and rise again to ruin our life but to save it and what we will see is that he saves us from ruining our lives by becoming himself, our peace, our power, and our purpose. 
Make Jesus our peace and Jesus our power and Jesus our purpose. Peace be with you. So what did he say? Two times he said, peace be with you. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Before Jesus says anything about power or purpose, he establishes peace. And the order here is really important. The peace that Jesus gives us before and underneath any of our empowered actions or any of our purposeful deeds is important. We don't initiate peace with Jesus by our actions. He initiates peace with us. Paul, who wrote 13 of those 21 New Testament letters, explains it like this. He, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. The peace that Jesus offers the disciples is peace that he accomplished when he died for them on the, on the cross. The cross that we talked about last week. That's, that's why in verse 20 he says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I'm the one who died. I am the one you abandoned. And I am the one who was pierced for your transgressions. Isaiah 53, 5. And the reason I can offer you peace is because my blood, I have covered all of your sins. If you trust me, they won't be held against you. The wrath of God is turned away. And that's what Paul meant when he said Christ reconciled us both to God through the cross, killing the hostility. All the hostility between God and us was absorbed on the cross. Here, look at my side, my hands. I made peace with these. Justice was satisfied with these. Peace between you and God and me was established with these. So there are some relationships where the crucified and the risen Jesus brings peace into our lives. He brings peace between us and him. And that's the first and most obvious meaning. He's standing there among them, offering them himself as a friend, as a helper, not judge. Peace between us and God. That's why God sent him so that God's justice and wrath would be satisfied another way besides eternal punishment. God makes peace with us by substituting Jesus's suffering for our penalty. Now he comes to us as a loving father, peace between us and others who are in Jesus. To be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to all who are reconciled to God. So there's no hostility vertically or horizontally, no, no ethnocentrism, classism, sexism, racism. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's now neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.28. So for the believer, for the believers of Christ, there is peace among us. There's peace between us and our own self. The New Testament letter to the Hebrews says the blood of Christ will purify your conscience, our conscience, from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 9.14, the precious peace of a clear conscience. How many people labor under the misery of guilty consciences? Peace with yourself doesn't mean you start seeing past sins as desirable. Peace doesn't mean that past sins cease to be painful or even have really dire consequences, but it means that they cease to be paralyzing. The pain may not be taken away immediately, but the penalty is. It is taken away immediately through Jesus Christ, and that makes it possible to heal. 
and to move on with hope, to move on with a hope-filled life while we do. In peace with the world. Yes, when Jesus died, he did what needed to be done, Colossians 1, 19-20, so that someday in God's time, <clears throat> all evil will be cast into outer darkness and the entire new creation will be full of peace and righteousness. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, Isaiah 9, 7. Peace with Jesus, peace with God the Father, peace with others in Jesus, peace with ourselves and peace with the world. So how do we receive this peace? How do we receive this? It doesn't seem that everybody has it. It's a gift of God. We receive it or we walk away from it. Or better to say, we receive him or we walk away from him. He is our peace. If we have the risen living Jesus as our Savior and Lord and treasure and friend, we have the peace that he gives, the peace that he is to all who received him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. John 1, 12. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Romans 5, 1. Jesus offers us that. We offer that on his behalf. It's free. I hope we receive it. I've spent most of our time on the gift of peace this morning because it's foundational. And if we don't have peace with God, we'll take all of his other gifts and use them to try to make peace. That's why the peace is first. And it never works that way. Peace has to be first and it's free. Everything else is the effect of peace, not the cause of it. It's fruit. Peace is the root. So the second thing is power, power by the Holy Spirit. So let me give just a cup, a point in closing to the power and the purpose that Jesus gives, both mentioned in verse 21 and 22. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The aha, the purpose. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Aha, the power. Jesus was going to pour out the Holy Spirit when he ascended into heaven, Acts 2.33. We're going to look at that next week. That happens about seven weeks after his resurrection. We read about it in the first chapter of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Acts 1.8. The work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives is that he makes us able to do what we simply are not able to do on our own. He gives us power. So here in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus performs kind of an acted out parable of of a physical parable. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't say receive him at this very moment. He said, in effect, realize that my breath, my life, my word will be in the Holy Spirit. And we've seen this before in John 14 when Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll, I'll come to you. John 14, 18. The risen living Jesus has come to us. He has sent us the Holy Spirit, his spirit. He has breathed on us. And this person, this power is our only hope for accomplishing the purpose that he has for us. And he gives us that purpose in verse 21, the second part of it. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. I want you to live in the world as my representatives, as my ambassadors. I want you to take my peace, take my power, and glorify my Father the way I have, John 12, 27, and 28. So the central purpose of existence then, Jesus comes to us, gives us his peace with God, 
then he gives us power to do the kind of things that without him we simply cannot do. Really huge things like defeating our own selfishness, loving other people, treasuring Jesus above everything else. And then with that peace and that power, he gives us our central purpose for existence, what it's all about. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm sending you to extend my peace and my light, my truth, my life in the world. I'm going, I'm going to my Father, but I gave you and I will give you my Holy Spirit. I'm the power in you. So glorify me in this world. That's our great purpose. In the peace of God, by the power of God, to do the will of God for the glory of God, for the good of others. And then there's this puzzling verse 23. And, and here's what I think it means. It's, it's actually a good way to end. Jesus says to his disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. And, and I think what he means in this is when you tell people about what I've done, speaking my word, about my work, and the power of my spirit, I am the one speaking through you so that if anyone believes your word, I forgive their sins. And if anyone doesn't believe your words, I don't forgive them. And since you are my voice and my truth, I speak of you forgiving them and you withholding forgiveness, which simply means that right now, what we make of this message from this fallible, sinful human messenger will decide whether we're forgiven or not. And so as an ambassador ambassador of Jesus, we urge one another to be reconciled to God, to receive as a free gift his peace, his power, his purpose. In the name of Jesus, amen, and God bless.